Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Discipleship Pastor Matt Miller has a message titled Abundant Life. Join us in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12 and verses 24 through 38. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. You guys, we are in a two-week mini-series right now on Abundant Life. Pastor Kevin opened it up um, last week and did a really good job kind of defining and laying out um, what is Abundant Life, what does it look like. Um, He defined it as it's upgraded life. It's life overflowing. It's 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 a life that we can't actually provide for ourselves. It's something that only comes through what Jesus can do in our life. We're not capable of attaining the abundant life that he talks about. Um, the idea of abundant life came out of the, the passage in John 10.10 10 from last week, and that was the verse we focused around. And John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come so that they may have have life and have it abundantly. So what does he mean when he says that? We're going to keep unpacking that this week. But I want to talk about the hang-up with that right here at the beginning of the message We don't always experience that, do we? Some of us have felt like we've never had it. (laughs) I don't know the abundant life you're talking about. Um, Some of us feel like there have been seasons where we've grasped it and then it slips out of our fingers. Um, Sometimes the the barriers of the fullness of life come from decisions that we've made or maybe brokenness that exists in our own life um, that we've created. But other times they're circumstantial or somebody else's decisions have impacted us and cause hurt and brokenness in our life. One picture painted by Pastor Kevin in last week's message is that we were all once sitting in a jail cell. Jesus is the only one that can come and unlock the cell and open the door and he invites us to step out of that cell into freedom and abundance. But so many of us find that we're stuck in the cell. We haven't stepped fully into what Jesus welcomes us into. Living in the reality of Jesus' kingdom, it takes practice and it takes discipline. It doesn't come naturally to us. We've been given this amazing invitation from Jesus that leads us into freedom and it takes work to step into that and fully realize it. I feel like I'd be lying if I told you otherwise or tried to get you to believe that it's any different for any of our staff or any of the elders or ministry leaders here. You know, calling the life that Jesus gives us a free gift, it's actually kind of misleading because it, re- it requires some real effort. It requires some grit. We have to fight to live in that abundance. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes and tells us, we have to work out our salvation. Right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It takes work. It's not passive. It's not passive. You can't just sit there. My life isn't always the picture of abundance. There have actually been some pretty dark times in my past and places where I've come from some real brokenness. Um, And I felt like it was a real fight for me to get back to the place of living in abundance. I, I wouldn't describe it any other way than that. It's a fight to maintain it. There are days and seasons I feel like I actually lose the battle. You know, so for me, this series actually really hits home. Um... 
in addressing the way I feel like I live my life, you know. Uh, it's important that we do press on and we, f- and we fight because of what's riding on it. You know, as I look around the world today, I see a lot of brokenness. I see it in our culture, but I, I also see it um, week in and week out in the midst of our church family, of people that are coming in the doors and they're just hurting right now. You know, the, um, the last year and the pandemic and everything hasn't necessarily been easy on us, has it? <laughs> you know, it's taken its toll. I feel like it's affected us. It's affected our, our families and relationships. It's really affected our youth. You see the ripple effects there. Um, I think it isolates us. It's eroded away what we feel like our purpose is. Um, we've all had, you know, battles and struggles before the pandemic, but for whatever reason, it seems like somebody took a magnifying glass to those and blew them up or amplified them and exploited the chinks in our armor and, and kind of, <laughs> it made everything worse somehow. I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than that, but it seems to really agitate some of the stuff that was already there, you know, or create <laughs> some new stuff that wasn't there. And we look around and we kind of see this level of ugliness that none of us want. And um, maybe sometimes wonder, how, how did I get here? How did we get here? I think some of us are lacking the abundant life Jesus offers because, you know, we just didn't know how to handle everything that gets thrown at us sometimes, you know, and, and to walk with Jesus through those situations, especially the stuff that's unfolded recently. You know, one of, this goal, one of the goals of this series is to start a recovery ministry here at the church. We want to provide a way for people to get help and get some healing. We'll provide more information about that right at the end of the message today and, and how to get involved and what that's going to look like and all that stuff. But, um, you know, myself and the staff are really praying as we were entering into this series and, and coming out of it that the Lord uses it not just to work across the body of people that are here in the church, but we're hoping that this uh, becomes something that the community kind of takes advantage of and can come and find help and healing as well. Um, with this morning's message, kind of part two of the series, I want to specifically focus on how the abundant life Jesus offers affects not just your life and not just my life, but the lives of others that are around us. Like, what are the ripple effects of the overflow and the abundance? Um, you know, one of the traits of that is that it's intentionally shared. And again, that's where some of the work, I think, comes in, is that when Jesus changes us, um, it changes the way we engage in our relationships and we engage in our purposes and the things that are around us that the Lord has for us. When you give your life to Jesus and his kingdom, the outworkings of that impact the world. Um, we're gonna see a story in the scripture today that you, you really don't have to be that far along in your journey with the Lord for him to begin to turn and use your story. You don't have to be a veteran Christ follower. Um, you know, and since we're talking about um, brokenness so much this last week and this week, I think it's important to mention just, just out the gate and from the get-go, if you're coming from a place in your life where there's some real hurt and real brokenness, maybe some addiction and you really need some recovery, you gotta focus on yourself first before you're gonna step in and let that overflow affect other people. And then it's through that and the healing that the Lord brings you and the relationship you have with Jesus, that you're able to turn around and really radically impact some people in a way that somebody else can't reach that person in the same way. That's the way it works. So step one for some of us today is, you gotta actually focus on yourself. And some of the outworkings of this message are not so much for you because step one is your health. We're gonna be in um, John chapter nine. It's the chapter that comes before 
um, the section Kevin taught through last week, and it's the story of the man who had been born blind and how Jesus intersects his life. So if you've got your Bible open to John chapter 9, let's pick up and start reading in verse 1. It says, Now, as Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused this man to be born blind, this man or his parents? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. We must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground and made some mud with the saliva. He smeared the mud on the blind man's eyes, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So the blind man went away and washed and came back seeing. There's a section of verses right here. I'm just going to summarize it because I want to focus on the part of the story really Jesus enters in and Jesus intersects his life. And there's a lot of back and forth between this man and the religious leaders right now. Um, so to summarize that, this healing was really controversial because nothing like it had ever happened before. No one had experienced or seen a man or a prophet come by and restore sight to somebody that was blind. The religious leaders bring him in. They want to interrogate him and try to find a way that they can get an angle on this or sweep it under the rug or rationalize it in some way that doesn't acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. They're trying to figure out there's got to be some explanation and they can't um, find one. They can't find some way to dismiss it. Um, it's interesting to watch um, because you see the blind man wrestle with his, his story and really who Jesus is a little bit. And he tells the guys, he's like, I don't really know who this man is. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. But I can tell you this, I was blind and now I see. Super powerful words, you know. Again, very early on in his story, even before he can really say, well, let me tell you all about Jesus as the son of God and the savior. I can tell you what he did in my life and I can tell you the change that's happened so far. The religious leaders they get upset at him and they remove him from the community, they throw him out of the synagogue. And I want to pick up the end of the story in verse 35. It says in 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. So he found the man and said to him, do you believe in the son of man? The man replied, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus told him, you have seen him. He is the one speaking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. So as we kind of dive into the story, I want to start out by putting ourselves in the blind man's shoes, in the blind man's shoes to the extent possible. I mean, obviously we've never experienced life like he has, but um, in this culture, he had experienced a lot of shame. I want to talk about that first. So at the time this was written, it was a, it was a common Jewish belief that sin resulted in divine punishment. There's a cause and effect relationship here that led many Jewish people to believe that every bad effect in life was likely the result of some sort of sin that you had committed and God was punishing you. If you guys look at verse 2, again, kind of go back there. Um, Jesus' disciples said, Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused this man to be born blind? Was it this man or his parents? So the assumption was that there was sin involved in this situation. Um, you know, so in this Jewish religious society, this man lived a life of rejection. He was an outcast. He didn't have friends. He didn't have great relationships. He was just the recipient of everyone's charity. 
He had a very painful life. Um, I think this adds the sadness of the story because he had done nothing to cause it and he could do nothing to change it. He's powerless. The next things that we see in this text are Jesus entering into the situation. Jesus came to give this man abundant life. And as far as addressing the man's brokenness, I want to take a look at how Jesus navigates through this and how he enters in. The first thing I want to look at is Jesus, right from the very beginning, before he even engages, the guy acknowledges that God has a plan for this man's life. God has a plan. Verse three says, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. That's pretty profound. There's a lot of hope in that statement, in that verse. Jesus just shuts down this idea that the things that God has allowed in this man's life are somehow the result of sin and that he's being punished by God. He goes further and directly saying that God has a plan, that in the midst of this man's hurt, God's still the king on the throne. He's still the one in control. It's not the devil. It's not other people. It's not the circumstances in this man's life, even though they play a role We have to see that in the blind man's story, there's so much purpose in his pain. And there has been actually for years. And the pain that we encounter in life, there's purpose in the midst of that pain too. The next thing we see is that Jesus enters into the brokenness. God wants to show up in the middle of our mess. I think that's important for us to remember He's got a deep desire to insert himself into our mess. He cares about our mess more than we care about our mess. He does. I think for us, we want to turn around and help somebody else. We see it sometimes as risky as if someone's going to be too messy that it takes too much from us or it sucks the life out of us or we don't have enough to give. You know, and we hold back because we're like, oh, it's it's going to take too much. I love that not just in this story, but in, in the pattern that Jesus has as he encounters people in the New Testament, he walks right into the middle of the mess, he inserts himself into it, and then he lets God's plan unfold for their life. I think there's a great message just in that aspect of how Jesus enters in and intersects this man's story. Um, Jesus offers acceptance and not condemnation. You can see that in verses six and seven. You know, and we saw back in verse two that this man was re- rejected by the Jewish community. And we see that come through really loudly. If you guys look at verse 34, it was one of the ones we didn't read earlier. In verse 34, the religious, the religious leaders tell the man, you were born in complete sinfulness. They're heaping all of that shame on him. They're super harsh with him. Just like we hesitate to enter into someone else's mess, I think we can get caught in this one too. You know, we can look at people and say, well, they're just the product of their choices. They made bad choices. So they, you know, they got what they deserve. They, they created their mess. And a lot of times that's, that's true, but it doesn't impact how we insert ourselves in and become Jesus to somebody else or let him use us. I think sometimes we have this sense of justice inside of that, that, that wells up and it becomes a barrier to us engaging the way that we should engage, you know, um, Jesus offers acceptance and not condemnation. He does it not just to the blind man, not just to all the others that he comes in contact with throughout the Gospels, but um, 2,000 years later to me, you know, he offers acceptance and not condemnation to you. He offers acceptance 
Um, let's look a little closer at verse 35 through 38. Let's go back there. The, the blind man encounters, in these verses, he encounters the key to abundant life. I want to make sure we don't miss this. It's actually just a one-liner there at the end of the passage. Um, let's read it together in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, so he found the man and said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man replied, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus told them, You have seen him. He's the one speaking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Did you catch it right there at the end of the passage? It says he worshipped him. That is the point in the story, actually, where everything changes. It's the point where abundant life starts. I feel like we want to, what really grabs our attention in the story is, is the receiving of sight when the man was blind. That seems to be like the monumental change that happened in his life. And, and no doubt it was. I don't want to downplay that. It changed everything for him, right? But that's not the point where his abundant life started when Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. It wasn't him getting his sight restored. And it's not ultimately why Jesus came to die on the cross. The ultimate end to everything in this life is to worship Jesus. That's the target. That's the trajectory that we're on through everything. And I, I tried to think of like sweeping changes that might happen in our life and us kind of encounter them and say, well, this is such a monumental and big change. Maybe like winning the lottery or the stupid Monopoly game that I play at Safeway, right? Where I always think I'm going to win. <laughs> Never do. I think I've won like a bag of Doritos or something. <laughs> um, and I, I just want to share a little of my personal story with you guys. Uh, I hit this time after college and I went through some pretty severe health stuff um, that I'd never encountered before and actually haven't since then. Um, and, but I was diagnosed with two autoimmune conditions um, right after college and they kind of wreaked havoc on my body. Uh, you know, one of them caused these open sores to break out in my mouth and on my throat. Uh, and the other one affected my uh, lower back. Um, and <laughs> I used to, I, I joke and I say, man, it was such a good weight loss plan because um, the, uh, it makes you not want to eat, you know? You lose your appetite because eating becomes so painful. So that was the state I was in. I was like losing weight because I love food, but I felt like I couldn't eat it because it hurt. And with my back, I feel like on good days, I had moderate back pain and I just always walked around with a limp. That would just characterize that season in my life. And on the bad days, I couldn't walk. Couldn't get off the couch. Actually, going to the bathroom was challenging, you know? That was like the challenging part of my day. It's like, ugh, do I have to go that bad? I don't know. <laughs> um, I had, so the difference between me and the blind man, though, is I had faith in the Lord during that season. I did. I had been a Christian for a long time and following Jesus, um, but looking back at that, it's kind of difficult for me because I wish I would have navigated it better. I really do. It was really difficult and kind of, it, it, it really kind of rocked me, you know. Um, there were times I went through that season and I was just angry with God and that's where I was at, you know. I didn't have a lot positive to <laughs> rally around and um, couldn't see, I didn't have this spiritual perception to see the Lord at work in that situation. I had this really great support network of my church and, and my family and the people that were around me. Um, it didn't take me long, I don't think, to see the Lord really working in the midst of, of, of that sickness and to see how he was present. But honestly, I had to get past the most difficult portion of it 
before I could start looking back and seeing that, I was blind to seeing it um, in the midst of it because I wasn't used to just walking through that kind of stuff with the Lord and seeing how he's going to work. I didn't have the, the spiritual maturity to do that, you know? I wasn't equipped for it. Um, his intervening and really orchestrating the way that um, situation unfolded, uh, it just changed everything with my perspective on faith and, and how the Lord intervenes in my life, you know? Um, we showed a little bit of uh, Krista's story last week up on the screen, and she had this one phrase that just stuck with me, but she said, I got to the place in the, in the midst of my brokenness where I said, you know, Lord, you have me. You have me. And I, I got to the place in my brokenness, too, where I said that. I was like, God, I, it's so clear to me now that you have me in this, and I couldn't see it before, and I feel, I feel guilty, you know, that I couldn't. Um, you know, getting through that, that season for me was a real fight. It challenged my faith um, like nothing had before, but it didn't break it. Um, life didn't feel abundant in that season. You know, but here's the key. Life is abundant for me in many ways because of that season in life. God established this track record of faithfulness uh, for me that allowed me to... Um, to just see how he was active in the situation and create this relationship between me and the Lord of of thankfulness and this relationship of dependence um, that I didn't have before. I can take that pain and I can turn around now and I can talk about how it reflects him and I couldn't do that before. He's given me more of a compassionate heart for people that struggle with debilitating things. I feel like I see their pain in a different perspective that I couldn't see before and really any pain you know? Um, and that perspective, it totally changes the way that I see this story unfold in the blind man's life. He received sight, and it changed his life. It changed his quality of life. But the real abundance in his life came when he fell at the feet of Jesus and he worshiped him. That is the significant part of the story. The same thing is true for us. Jesus cares about what's going on in our life, and he cares genuinely. He's intimately aware of our circumstances, and, and he desires to pay attention to those things and move in those areas of our life, but his ultimate goal and game plan is for us to know him and to know him through those things and then to fall at his feet and worship him. Again, that's the trajectory, that's the target, that's the direction we're heading in if we're on the right path. You know, for the last few minutes um, this morning, because everything in this story hinges around worship, let's unpack that a little bit and just look at what worship is. You know, the first thing I want to talk about is worship is acknowledging God and it's acknowledging what he has done. And some of the big things, I mean, he's the giver and sustainer of life. He's extended us a personal relationship with a personal God that created the universe. He's undeserved, undeservedly and, and unilaterally reached out to save us from our sin by sending his son to die for us. No one else can better provide for us or fulfill us. No one can give us that, that abundance of life in that way, that overflowing quality of life. Worship is acknowledging that good comes from God and seeing Jesus in the small, <laughs> the small things in life, you know, as much as the big things. Worship is acknowledging that there's purpose in our pain and purpose in others' pain too. And that the Lord allows that stuff for a reason. I want to talk about this too. Worship is the way we live our life. 
Again, worship is not singing a song on Sunday morning. That's a small piece of it. And we do acknowledge God through those things. And it does stuff and it stirs up things in our heart through singing and worship. And I love worship. But that's not, that's not the, the boundaries of what worship is. Worship is so much more than that. Worship is outside the four walls. Worship is the way we live. Paul talks in the book of Romans, he calls us living sacrifices. And you say, wait a second, that sounds like a weird phrase. You're a living sacrifice. Remember that before Jesus, worshiping God was done through animal sacrifice. That's how they worshiped God. Blood had to be spilt to pay for sin. Jesus' death on the cross was the perfect and final sacrifice. And when the Bible refers to us as living sacrifice, that's an indication that the way we live our life as given over fully to God and his purposes, that is worship. We are living in a sacrifice by the way we live. Worship's the way we conduct ourselves at work. Worship's the way we drive our car. I know, you wouldn't think, right? But it's all those things, the way you interact with the cashier at the grocery store, how you engage in your relationships. That is living out worship. Worship's the, worship is the pathway to an overflowing life. If we bring this idea full circle, we, when we step out of that jail cell, and we follow Jesus into abundant life, the life that he's given us, it begins to not only permeate our lives, but it permeates the lives of the people that are around us and that we encounter. You know, once we're healthy and we're healed of our brokenness, we're able to turn and and fully put our attention on the health of others. We begin to see the purpose in their pain as well as ours. And um, I think the key to this in, in understanding how this relationship works is naturally, I want to I look at ministering to others as, well, as long as I'm taken care of first and my needs are met and I'm, you know, in a good spot, then I can take the little margins in my life and the leftover, the areas that are kind of still there and haven't fully been taken up by something else, and I'll give those areas away. But that's not actually the way that God set it up. And it's not the way that he describes abundant and overflowing life. See, his role is to meet my needs. That's not my role. But I think it's my role, and I often try to do that myself, right? His role is to fully meet my needs. And what does that do? That opens up this this floodgate to, well, if he's actually going to meet my needs, and I'm going to trust him to meet my needs, I can fully turn around and give everything I have to the people that are around me and to the ministry he has for me. Because as fast as I can dump my bucket out, he fills it back up. I mean, that's, that's the way God works in your family. That's the way God's intended to work in your marriage. Your marriage is between three people, right? It's not you and your spouse. It's you, your spouse, and Jesus. And the whole idea of the high bar that he sets for me in my marriage is I can meet that if I pour myself out and I trust him to meet my needs. And if I don't do that, I'm so busy taking care of myself. But I, I'm telling you, it doesn't come naturally. The natural thing I want to do is provide for my own needs. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm good at. <laughs> you know, I think I am. Um, let's just kind of talk about maybe where you're at today as you're encountering the blind man's story. I want to talk about maybe you're stuck in the jail cell. Maybe that's how you feel today. You, you might actually be in the spot where you've never fully accepted Jesus and his sacrifice. You've been trying to do it on your own. You haven't, you haven't even tried to step out into the freedom and abundance that he has for you. Maybe this idea is a little bit foreign. 
He is the pathway to healing. He's the source of true satisfaction. And there's one way. I think there's a lot of stuff out there that we can grab onto and say, well, that's the way I'm going to do it. That's the pathway to my healing. And it's not true healing. You're going you're gonna to somehow treat your situation symptomatically and you're not going to go after healing it from the source. Maybe you surrendered your life to Jesus, but you haven't done the work to step out into the freedom of the life that he has for you. And it does take work. We've already talked about that. Maybe he's unlocked that cell door and flung it wide open, but you still, you're still sitting in there and you're kind of looking at the open door from a distance. You don't know how to move forward. You might be comfortable with the things that make up that jail cell. You might be saying, I don't want to let go of some of the stuff that's in my life. You, you might be saying, I can't let go of the things that have a hold of my life. I don't have the power to do it. And that's okay. I think that's where Jesus comes in. You have to say, I don't have the power to do it. I want to show this video again. We showed this video last week, you guys. If you weren't here, this uh, shepherd boy is pulling a sheep out of a ditch. That's what you're looking at. Watch this. Oh! I just want to replay it over and over again. It's almost better that it doesn't have any sound. Um, Guys, I feel like I'm that sheep sometimes. I feel like I take a couple steps forward and then sometimes a couple steps or more backward. I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and the, the journey's not perfect. It's not perfect by any stretch. You know, again, see sheep. What did I write my sermon notes? <laughs> um, we're, you guys, we're in continual need to lay our shortcomings at the cross of Jesus. Um, you know, first service, I, I was sitting there and the thought I had when I was taking the Lord's Supper was just kind of sitting there and, and resting and saying, I still need this. It's been a long time. I still need this. I still need Jesus' blood to wash over and forgive the stuff that I did this week. And, and it was just this realization that I will always still need this as long as there's breath in my lungs, you know? We're in continual need to worship Jesus and to find our, ourselves at his feet. Um, that might be exactly what some of us need to hear today, that we need to return to worshiping Jesus. We need to pursue him. Maybe you've gotten lazy with it or distracted. Um, we need to relentlessly pursue him. I also think somewhat often about that um, story of Jacob in the Old Testament. When Jacob's wrestling with God and he gets to this place where it says they've been wrestling all night and he says, Lord, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. And it's such a picture of me too, that hard work and that grit and that effort that we need to pour into really pursuing and hanging on to Jesus for life, you know? Again, it's just the opposite to me of something that would be described as passive, that we just kind of let happen. That's not the spiritual walk. For anybody that's walked it, you know that that's not the way that we can describe that, right? Um, maybe, you're, maybe you're living in the midst of that freedom and abundance this morning. You're like, you know what? I get it. I'm there. I, I, I have been fighting. I've been fighting to maintain it. I understand it's not a, a joy ride been diligently chipping away at it, continue on. Fully engage in the spheres that the Lord has for you, the relationships that the Lord has for you, and continue to strive for that idea that 
I'm not going to allow barriers to pop up that holds me back from somebody else's messiness, from inserting me into the situations the Lord wants me in because I can pour into those. I can pour into those fully when I trust that Jesus has my back and I can lean on the track record of seeing how things have unfolded in my life to get to this point. You kind of have to continually reset that thought of like, it's not me that meets my needs. It's not me that meets my needs. Because I just keep going back to that, you know? I've got some, some more stories I want you guys to watch here up on the screen of Krista and uh, Kevin just kind of sharing their journey. I'm the, the middle child in our family, but I'm the oldest male. And it felt like a big responsibility to like strengthen up and, and, and be the, the oldest male now that my dad was gone. With my mom going through breast cancer, we just weren't, uh, just hard to really talk with other family about grieving my dad passing away because we were now focused on my mom's illness and you know, also concerns about being 21 years old and not knowing what um, what the future holds for my mom and the time I was going through uh, a lot of brokenness and, and grieving um, was a really struggle because I wasn't part of a church at all. I had, um, just didn't have a community of believers to be around. Since I've become a believer, um, I think that I've really just been able to find a group of other people to share my life with and share um, struggles and brokenness. I have a few friends um, more outside of church that just have dealt with um, family members being uh, passing away at too, too young of an age or um, parents um, dealing with this. So it's, it's, it's been experience to, to be able to talk with them and hopefully help them go through their grieving but I think at the same time being able to talk with people about their pain has really been a, a great way for me to, to heal from some of the things I've gone through. In the last year and a half when like ooh, so, so hard <laughs> You know, or um, when depression hits or when and you just want like, I just want the relief. I want to put my superhero <laughs> outfit back on, even though I know that that's not what it is. Um, and handing that, just handing that over. My ability to continue and share reminds me of how important this gift is that I have. And um, if you don't, then it's too easy to keep that secret and dive back into that shame. And you gave me the story, Jesus, so let's use it. Um, but I think abundance is living in that, like owning this, um, using it, uh, being in community. I had a student ask me once, like, how did you guys stay together? And I said, well, we said sickness and health. This is my sickness. And he accepted that. There have been some strong Christian women who I admired so much. And I didn't want them to know these parts of me because, you know, you only see their strong Christian perfect signs. Um, and they you know, rallied uh, around me. 
the church is someplace that we should feel comfortable bringing all of our junk, right? Because not everybody in the room is going to be an alcoholic, but everybody in this room has trauma or has like shame or secrets, things that were human. I love the last part of what Krista says. The, sh- the church is some place that is the place you should be able to bring your junk. We're starting a recovery ministry. We're going we're gonna to have our first meeting here to kick things off tonight at 6 p.m. And um, we want to invite you to come. Um, I think through this, there's a, there's a recovery curriculum that we're going to go through and engage in. But more than that, I think you're going to find relationships there. You're going to find an ability to kind of like you know, open up and peel back the layers and, and show some other people this stuff that's just going on and get some people around you that say, man, I get it. I know what you're going through because I, I've been there or I am there right now, you know. Um, we, you know, I, I don't want to just put this out there to try to attract people that, you know, you're in the midst of needing recovery or you just feel broken right now. There's pain and hurt in your life. We need people that have been through it. We need some people that are on the other end of it. And they say, hey, God's brought me to a place where I'm healthy and I understand what you're walking through. I'll walk through you with it and I'm gonna let some of the things God's done in my life transfer over and affect you and I'm gonna help you through that. So come right here, six o'clock tonight. There's a kiosk out there that you guys can sign up for steak night. Kevin and Krista, um, who were kind of courageous and shared their story here up on the screen. They're going to be out at the tables out there after service and you can go ask them some more questions or just interact with them. Um, but uh, let's, let's pray and then uh, we'll be dismissed. Um, Father, thanks for, God, just thanks for a challenge out of um, this text in John. It's so rich, Father. We're, we are asking, God, that you move powerfully through what you're doing at our church and that you, you, you bring some folks that need help and healing folks from our own church family, God, but also from the community. And um, we're, we're, we're expectant of you, Father. We're expectant to watch, to wait and see what you're gonna do and how you're gonna turn those things to use them for good. Um, God, use us um, powerfully, use our stories powerfully. And um, God, let us just be faithful to you and, and stay in this spot, God, where we can fall down at your feet and worship you because that is the end goal, Father. Um, thanks for all you've done, Lord. In your son's name we pray, amen. You guys have a great week, thanks. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.